Hey friends, have you ever felt forgotten by the world and maybe by the Lord? Our guest today shares her journey of faith through losing her husband and how the Lord was with her even when she was mad at him. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 340, Lisa Woolery and the Widow and the Orphan. Hey friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm grateful that you are here. You downloaded, you streamed. I don't know how you're getting this. One of those apps does. They do all those things these days. It's way different today than it was, I don't know, what, six or so, almost seven years ago when I started. I just shared on Facebook a picture of what my desk looked like. Uh, back in 2016 when I was trying to put this thing together. Anyway, a little trip down memory lane there. You can go check that out uh, on Facebook if you want. Um, friends, this is going to be a good conversation. Before we jump into it, I would love to have you just do one of two things for me. Uh, if you know somebody who would be blessed by this conversation after you've listened to it, while you're listening to it, as, as it's gripping you from the heartstrings, go ahead and uh, just share it with them. Send them a text, send them an email, send them a Snapchat. I don't care. Whatever the kids are using today, just send them something and say, hey, this is a show you should be listening to. Check it out. That means a lot to me, and I would appreciate it. Also, uh, if you are able, I know uh, things are weird out there. We're recording this right after you know the banking collapse thing, whatever. I know I get it. Financial times are weird, but if you can and you really appreciate the show uh, and you want to go to halfwaythepodcast.com, hit that Patreon button. That's just a way for you to support the show on a monthly basis, uh, just with a small $5 a month or maybe a little more, whatever works for you. Uh, we def definitely appreciate that. And some of you already do. And I, I uh, appreciate that a ton. It helps cover all the costs that are associated with podcasting, including I just got a new boom arm. So that's one of those ways that we we uh, we do those things. So thank you to those of you who support. All right, I want to dive into this conversation because I know that our it's going to be a good one. Uh, our guest is, she's an author and she is, she just told me she sent her book to the publisher, waiting on that back. It's going to come out soon. Our guest is Lisa Woolery. Lisa, welcome to Halfway There. Hi, thanks for inviting me. I am excited to have you and to just hear your story. I'm always excited to hear uh, stories, but I know that uh, you've got you've got an interesting one, so we're gonna we're gonna hear that. But give me just a little bit. You know, you're an author. You're writing a book. You've written a book uh, for widows. Is that because that's part of your journey? We'll get into that part. But tell me just a little bit about who you are and where God has you right now. Well, um, I've been working on a book for three and a half years, which is the amount of time. Um, since my husband died, I had been blogging about the fun adventures of moving from Southern California to Kansas. And oh, um, that's, a, that's a change. It is. And it was all kinds of funny, frivolous things. Um, and then my husband died unexpectedly. And so I started blogging about grief and about him. Um, we had, like I said, just moved from Southern California to Kansas and we had a lot of friends and he was actually a politician in California. So a lot of people wanted to know how we were, how he died, what our journey was like. So mm -hmm. I was blogging about grief and then just kind of accidentally realized one day that all of this grief could help people help other widows and I could make a book out of it. Um, so that's what I've been working on. Um, in addition to that, I'm a mom. I have two kids, a 15-year-old son who 
goes to Missouri Military Academy. It's a wonderful, privileged, beautiful military school. Um, and then I have a daughter who's in eighth grade and she is wonderful kid, cheerleader, track star, all around just faithful, happy girl. And I also have three dogs. I love that. I love that. Actually, I put my dog in my bio because I think it's uh, it's relatable. You know? So I get, I get that. Uh, and she sometimes shows up in the podcast because she refuses to leave me alone. But today it's spring break, so everybody's home. She doesn't come to work on spring break days when, <laughs> when other people are around. I uh, love that. Okay, so that's, uh, yeah, so obviously your life took a turn. So I want to um, – talk to you. I want to hear that story, but first I want to hear all some of the backstory. I want to hear some of uh, uh, how you got there. So did you uh, grow up in California? Is that, is that where you're from originally? Yes. We moved there when I was seven. If you're from Southern California, you're not allowed to say you're from Southern California unless you were born there. So I, (laughs) I lived there for 43 years. Gotcha. Well, that's, I feel like that's far enough. That's, that's long enough. I live in Colorado and it's very similar, but they have a thing they call natives, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. I'm a Colorado native. Like, well, I mean, okay. I'm not, I've lived here for 18 years, but so I feel like I, I'm a Coloradoan, but uh, still I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm an outsider. I get it. So I get that. Um, okay. So you grew up there and you were there for 43 years. You said that's a long time. What, uh, what kind of family was it? And like, did you grow up in a Christian family or how did you find faith? I grew up in a Christian family. I feel like I've always had faith. I do have a moment when I was, or did have a moment when I was, I don't know, maybe fourth grade, I was cleaning out my room and I found a little tract from leftover from Bible school. And I actually got on my knees and invited Jesus into my heart. Um, you know, like I said, we always went to church. We weren't super effluvious about our faith. Um, but then when I was in middle school, my parents switched me over to a private Lutheran school. And that's when my faith really grew. It was a great place for me. I started attending that church as well. And I have really Byron Porsche to thank for just really teaching me how to have God in my heart and have that faith. Um, he was my youth director then. Oh yeah. Well, what, so what did he teach you? Cause I think that's really important. I love hearing stories of mentors and people who do that, but partly for one, one reason is because there's, it's kind of a thankless job most of the time, <laughs> right? Like I get that. Uh, so I, I am happy to celebrate. I want to encourage anybody who uh, is doing that kind of work because uh, you don't always get a lot of that, but also I think seeing the long-term impact um, reminds us that those f- jobs that just require a lot of faithfulness um, are really meaningful, right? So, like your so your youth director, what what, what did he teach you, and what were the things that uh, that you remember that you that really kind of helped your faith grow? Well, he taught me that I could read the Bible first and foremost, yeah, and that I could find answers to my life by reading Scripture. And then, you know, he taught me that I could pray, that I could pray, not just like the Lord's prayer or, you know, like a written out prayer. I could pray what was actually on my mind and in my heart and that I could hear God. I could hear Jesus and that could guide my life. Mm -hmm. And it, his youth group provided a place for me when I was an adolescent and, um, 
you know, it was a place where I was allowed to say, you know, um, not want to have sex till I got married. Um, it was a place where I grew in faith with friends and it's actually the place also where I met my husband. Um, so it was just a really great start for me, um, just to have a faithful life. Yeah, that is a good start to kind of learn those fundamentals of uh, Bible study and prayer. And, uh, I love that. So, okay. Um, it sounds like that was a good, a good place for you and you, you met your husband there. So what, uh, I mean, do you remember like the first time you saw him there? Like, well, we have a meet cute. So my memoir, which is called the widow's comeback is written, um, sort of like a rom-com because I always like to say that my life was a rom-com, which generally it's mostly been, it took a little bit of a turn here a few years ago. Um, but so I don't remember our meet cute, but he remembered it. And um, basically we were going to an angels baseball game and all of the soon to be seniors were sitting in the back of the bus. And then all the soon to be high school kids, which was me, um, you know, got on the bus and I went straight to the back to where all the senior boys were. And I squeezed right down in the middle um, between two of them, (laughs) one of them on the one on my right was actually Eric, my husband. And, um, that's how we met. My first memory though, is later that summer down in the basement playing pool. And my friend Kim and I were going around to see which boys had the softest ears <laughs> and uh, Eric did. So. Okay. Yeah. You were flirting with all, with the, with the boys <laughs> is what you were doing. I see. Okay. Well, good. Well, that's, that's pretty interesting. Uh, so then how did your faith as your, as your faith developed and you were developed, you were kind of growing in that, like what, what happened? Were there some moments that, um, you know, stand out to you maybe between then and, you know, obviously a few years ago, we'll get to that story in a minute, but like how, how God kind of interacted with you and, and some significant moments in your journey there. Well, when I graduated, I was a Lutheran school teacher for four years And I was in an interesting situation where I had to attend church where I worked. And that was very stressful for me. Um, Having been like a, a good girl, respecting my elders, and then coming into a place where the parents were sort of my elders, but really then they were my equals. And so I taught middle school. Suffice it to say that was a stressful experience. I did it for four years and then I changed careers and went into public relations. And after I left teaching, my husband and I stopped going to church regularly. Um, I felt like I just needed time and space away from all of that stress. And so I won't say that my faith left me or him at all. We prayed together. I had a, I always had a strong faith, but it was a little bit on hiatus. Then a few years after that, we of course planned to have our family and I'm infertile. So I wasn't able to get pregnant. And so we waited for a baby for a long time. And we actually ended up adopting two kids from Russia. And that was how God finally blessed us with a family. And that was when I was 39. So there was a lot of years where my husband and I 
enjoyed being dinks, you know, double income, no kids. We traveled a lot. We, um, did a lot of really fun things and our faith was always there, but it was a little bit, um, dormant, I'd say. And then when we adopted my son, Liam, my mom came to me and said, my dad said to me, when I got married and had a kid, it's time to go back to church. And I agreed because I wanted my kids to grow up having a great faith and a great place to go when they were having troubles in their lives. So we started attending church again. Yeah. Interesting. That's, uh, yeah, I love the way you described it, that your faith was kind of dormant, right? It was there, but it wasn't, uh, maybe because of some, was it, would you say it was church hurt? I, I don't really like that term, but like it was, you were kind of burned out. It sounds like. Yeah. I, I don't know if I like church hurt either, but definitely burned out. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and then like, okay, we're going to just do it. And so where, where was God for you in all that? Especially if you were going through a season of what for many is suffering, uh, waiting for children or finding out that you can't have children. Like, what'd you think of God during that time? Well, I prayed of course, a lot about, you know, about getting pregnant. And then one day my husband and I were, it was the time, you know, according to the thermometer and I'm like, I don't want to, he's like, I don't either. I'm like, I don't even want a baby. He's like me either. And so we just thought, okay, well, I guess that God isn't going to bless us that way. We're just going to have this really fun life where we travel and we have Labradors, Labrador retrievers, and just, we get to live for ourselves, I guess. And so I wasn't really ever mad at God. I just kind of accepted it. And I just thought, okay, well, then we're going to do it, you know, this way. So, you know, I, I've never had a problem trusting God. So I just Mm. trusted and moved forward and was happy. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting because I think a lot of people have a different story. So that's a good, um, that's an interesting way to go about it. So you were like, okay, yeah, we're, this is, this is, you're going to roll with your life. Like this is the way that it, that it goes. And, uh, you were living it up and then you had adopted some kids. What did you learn? So what did you learn about God through the process of adoption through like adopting, uh, these two kids? Oh, I think I, I learned, well, you know, when you're going to go and adopt kids, people say weird things to you like, oh, it's not of your blood. How are you going to love this child who's not even related to you? And, and then, you know, here I am 39, like very set in my ways. And now I'm going to have this kid who's by the way, not a baby. I brought him home when he was one. So, you know, I didn't get that time of him in the little carrier, (laughs) you know, he was straight toddler. Um, well, I just, I learned that God loves us in all of these ways. And I love my kids and my life in all of these different ways. And And again, I'm just, I'm really not like a detail person. So I never really sweat the details. I just, whatever my life is, however it's presented to me, I just am thankful and happy. Mm. And so I was super thankful and happy that I had all of that time for fun. And then I had the opportunity um, 
you know, to adopt a baby. And then of course I started to understand more about how God loves his kids because now here I have a kid to love and I've adopted into my family by choice kind of. Um, Mm -hmm. So I got to understand a little bit more about how God feels about me. Yeah. Which is what? Unconditional love. Um, Yeah. Sort of just, Oh, cute. Like, you know, this cute stuff that this little toddler is doing because that's all he knows is now how I can see God thinking of me, the cute little silly things that this woman does because all she knows is what she knows. And that's actually a great comfort. Oh yeah. Isn't that interesting? I think that is one of those things that you don't, I didn't get until I had kids uh, either. And I, I just wonder how much of this we're doing all the time where we're reading into a situation like little kids do, right? They're, they're, they just trying to make sense of something and they'll say the funniest things mm-hmm. about, you know, something that you did and that they'll, they'll explain it with what they've got. And I think sometimes we do that with God. Like we, we think we explain what it is, what we think he's doing. We explain our suffering, whatever, um, with what we, what we think we understand. And that's, not often, not the case, right? It's, and it's kind of silly. Very much so. And I just think of like my little pea brain and my little pea heart, but you know, I also know that God created man, mankind. And so that's like, he knows what my journey is. He knows what I'm capable of and what I'm not capable of. And Mm -hmm. of course, Jesus understands my, um, journey because he had a similar one. So I, I think it's like marvelous to see how God looks down at me and my life at the same way I look at my kids' lives and how much love I have for them and patience usually. (laughs) Right. Right. Usually. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think that's great. So that's, that's a really interesting, uh, angle to your story. Um, okay. So then you're, so you're going, you're going about this, like what's the next sort of significant moment in, in your walk with the Lord? Well, after we adopted the kids, um, our marriage got harder just because, you know, suddenly we have, we can't sleep in anymore. You know, we don't get to go to brunch or all these trips or whatever, you know, the things are that we used to do. And my husband and I, we had some hard times and we had a conversation. Well, maybe we're going to get divorced, but, um, we both are like, well, we don't want our kids to suffer like this secondary trauma of parents getting divorced after they'd already been adopted out of orphanages. Plus we just loved each other. And so we decided that instead of letting, um, like these petty things that got in the way of, our relationship because we were growing and life was changing that we would grow together. And so we, we, um, went to some Christian communication classes at our church. We started to get really involved. We started to pray together every night and we started to do things that really enhanced our faith. And so I think that was, um, 
a great time for us, especially it was a time that was that I didn't realize at the time, but it was preparing me for when he was going to die. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So that was a season when it sounds like you were really kind of diving into what I would call maybe, I mean, I don't know, we can call it what you want, but some fundamentals of the, of the faith, right? Like getting back to those practices that maybe you had before, um, that, uh, that can be really valuable. Was there, was there anything that stood out to you as a, uh, as a, you know, a practice or a a moment that was helpful, um, or a a passage or something that kind of helped you understand God better in the middle of that season? Yeah. I'm, I'm not thinking of any, any scripture specifically, but I am remembering how it, how I, interpreted a lot of what our pastor would say is that the family is the building block of the church. Um, and so we just really got into that, which was a little bit skewed for me. Um, as my counselor told me later, Christians are the building block of God's church on earth. Mm -hmm. Um, but I celebrated my family. I loved having a family. I loved the steadiness of the four of us. Um, and then the thing that really just stands out to me a lot in this time is that we, again, it's not scripture based, but it's just that we used to do, we used to call it the tuck in prayer. I'm, I'm an early go to bed person. So my husband was like <laughs> yeah. a night owl. So he would come and tuck me in every night and we would pray together. And I just grew so much in my love for him because instead of me interpreting what he was thinking or what his actions were, I actually got to hear them. And so by him praying to God, I was learning what was actually on his heart. And that was just a really good time of growth for us. Yeah. I can see that being really special and maybe not. Is that one of those things that maybe you don't appreciate in the moment or, or did you appreciate it at the time? I actually did appreciate it at the time. Um, I appreciate it more now and sort of miss it. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Wow. Uh, cause there's so many of those things, right. With uh, you just do and you don't, you don't always, always appreciate, but, uh, okay. So take us, take us to then to, uh, kind of the moment. Maybe there's other things that you want to talk about. That's fine. Like there's other kind of moments in between, but take us to the moment. So what happened and, and kind of how your life changed. Okay. So like I said, that my husband was an elected official in Orange County, California, and he was the elected auditor controller of the county. And he had decided that he was going to uncover all kinds of corruption and um, just like weeding out the fiscal morass, I guess I'll say. And it became very toxic, like a toxic environment. And it even trickled down to our kids. and. So we, I felt like it was untenable. I wasn't in, I mean, I loved that my husband was doing this and I was very proud of him and I supported him, but I also felt like our family wasn't thriving. And so we decided that I was going to move to Kansas with the kids and he was going to um, maintain his residency in California and super commute. Um, So that's what we did for eight months. We moved to Kansas. Um, I'm in the Kansas city area because my husband grew up in Kansas city and I loved 
Kansas City. Um, just before we met and when he was in high school, he had moved um, to Southern California. And then we used to come back and visit Kansas. So I'm like, this is where I want to be. I just need to get some of this stress out of our lives. I had also promised my kids that when they hit middle school and high school, I would stay home with them because I feel like those are like the really formative years where a nanny is not going to do it. <laughs> so yeah. I had been an executive at a fortune 24 company. And so we decided if we moved to Kansas, I could quit. So that's what I did. And then we came to um, Kansas city and we lived here for eight months it was wonderful. We had so much fun. Although my husband was gone a lot because he was in Orange County um, doing his job. Um, and then just one afternoon, he was having a week in Kansas and he actually had a small CPA practice here and he came home and I went and greeted him at the door like I did always. And um, he gave me a kiss and said, I have so many great things to tell you about my day. And then he went into his office to um, return phone calls and this kind of thing. And so I sat back in my chair and was reading and my kids were off at a neighbor's house swimming. And I finished my chapter and I got up and I went in his office and said, I'm going to make dinner. He said, fine. And so I went and I cut up broccoli and I put it in the steamer. And then I was going to go tell him a joke. And I was going to tell him, well, you're going to fall asleep during dinner tonight because it's just broccoli because <laughs> we were dieting. And um, I knew he would think the joke was funny. And then we'd like joke about our Mrs. Dash options. Um, <laughs> and it had been like seven minutes since I had heard him on the phone. And so I thought he was finishing emails. And so I walked into his office and found him um, slumped over in his chair. And um, he had had a heart attack. Oh, man. So I'll just, I guess I could tell you about what happened right after I, you know, I picked up his phone and called 911. Um, just ambulances and paramedics came and they tried to revive him and were unable to. And he was 53 and had just had a physical and was in perfect condition. Wow. Yeah. And that's hard to, to go through, I'm sure. So, um, cause that's, I mean, that's this, this you'd never want to see that. Like those, those are the things that just, you know, can obviously changes your life. So what, um, you know, what'd you do after that? Like, how did that, so obviously you're going through all this, you're dealing with the, you know, hospital and, uh, then, you know, funeral arrangements and all that, but how'd, how'd you deal with it? How'd your life, like what happened after that? Well, literally as I was backing out of his office, I made some phone calls. I called my neighbor and told her not to let the kids come home. I called my aunt and uncle, my beloved aunt and uncle who live in, um, like they live 45 minutes away and they were, um, firefighter paramedics. They're retired now. And I, screamed into the phone and the battalion chief actually took the phone away and explained what was happening. They met, they met us at the hospital. And then I called my best friend who lives in Phoenix and she was on a flight immediately. And she was here, um, within hours. And so 
my best friend stayed with us for two weeks and we, you know, we had the funeral in California and then my other really close friend who lives on a remote Caribbean Island, it took her three days to get there. Um, she took over for us and brought us back. And so that was about a month of me having best friends here to help us figure out paperwork and figure out our lives and all of this. And I was just in shock for months. I mean, doing all my things because I had my kids who had to go to school every day. So, you know, I got up every morning, put a smile on my face, made lunches, attended to them, made sure that the house was in order and their our lives were in order, but just in shock. Yeah. And that, I don't think, I think grief is a weird thing, right? So, because it often comes with those moments of shock um, and you don't get to choose when that goes away. Right. Yeah. Like, cause it, cause it just, you, it can take weeks. It can take months. It can take years. Like it just takes forever. Um, and this is, this is my one, I mean, there's a lot of things to complain about grief. Right. But it's the thing that I think is hardest, at least for me, is that you just, you control no part of it. It's just emotions. It's just things that just happen to you. Um, what was your experience with, with that? Like, how did you start to start to heal, put your life back together? And, and maybe you're still in that process because it says not that long ago and that's fine. Um, but what was that? What was your experience of grief like? Well, I think that I'm still in shock in some ways. Yeah. Um, but I just, I was blessed that I had little kids. They were tweens at the time. So that meant I had to get up every day and I had to do all of the things. I couldn't just lay around in bed and cry. And, you know, sometimes widows will get to comparing whose, whose situation is worse. Um, yeah. I mean, it would have been great for my kids to have grown up having a dad and then losing their dad when, you know, they were adults, but just for me, having the kids really helped. Um, and then during this time, I can't remember praying. I can't remember ever talking to God about this. Cause again, I was just in so much shock, but I remember that I was deciding that I wasn't going to be like, why? because what could it possibly be that answer? And so I decided like maybe even the day that Eric died, that I wasn't going to do the why instead I was going to do the acceptance. Um, and I was going to try to accept it and try to find the blessings in it. And, and I knew that God was going to see us through. And we had some financial struggles in the beginning because my husband's death certificate was delayed for three months and I wasn't working. Oh, wow. And so that means I wasn't able to access any of our, um, any of his pensions or, um, insurance or anything like that. So that was a struggle, but all along, I knew that God was going to take care of me. And 
at one point I thought I was going to go back to work. I didn't end up going back to work. And, but I just knew that whatever was going to happen, God was going to take care of me and that I was going to be okay. And I just needed to, to not fight it. So I, which I actually, I want to comment on that because I think it's a very interesting perspective. Right. And I think that's probably how it has to go. Right. You have to like your, your, uh, ability to move through the grief is contingent on your acceptance of it. Is it not? Yes, it is. Um, and I'm going to say that later I realized that my acceptance was only submission and I, I have a Mm. Bible verse that I can talk about, um, about that later or, but go ahead. But what I want to say now is that like looking back on my first months after Eric died, it's like, you know, that sort of cheesy footprints in the sand poem where God is carrying Uh you. Um, that is 100% what happened to me. Like I said, like I said, I, I, I couldn't even pray. I couldn't even consult God. All I could do was know that he was Mm. carrying me. Um, and then, then the pandemic. I really, I really love that. Cause I want to, yeah, we'll get to the pandemic. I, cause I think that's really interesting. I think one of the things, one of, I don't, I'll, I'll just relate this to myself. So one of the things that I struggle with is always having to be aware of what's happening. Like I'm always asking myself the question what am I feeling? What is happening? What's, what's going on? Right. Which I think actually makes a really good, um, that helps me interview. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it sometimes short changes those experiences like you're describing. And so for you to go and, uh, not only just accept, but also to accept that God is there and not to have to put any pressure on that relationship with him at the moment, um, I think is, uh, actually a really good lesson for us, right. To, to go, uh, here, here's the thing, friends, you might've been told that you have to be praying and that you have to have a certain experience in prayer and that you need to be reading scripture and that you need to be doing all these things in order to have a relationship with God. Guess what? He's still there, even if you're not, and he's still working and he's still present. Even if you're not actively going, okay, this is the you know, pursuing him. He's actually still faithful in those moments is what I hear you saying. Right. 100%. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So then the pandemic hit. So then you're, <laughs> you're working through this. Well, so, um, I'm not gonna lie though and say that I wasn't mad at God. Um, for a while I was just in a blur and a haze in shock, but then, gotcha. um, then, you know, I had some moments where I was really mad you know, thinking ridiculous things like I've always been a follower. I've always been faithful. And this is how you repay me. You know, I had some of those, some of those feelings. Um, and then probably the third time I was back at church after everything, um, our pastor did an all in sermon where he wanted us to be all in. And we are going to take like a year and a half to be all in with money, with time, with, um, all of ourselves with, we're just going to totally commit ourselves. And I remember walking out of church that day going all in, what else do I have to give? 
Like I wow. literally had no money. I had no husband sitting in church alone, which is the worst, by the way. And I was pissed. And then um, I didn't go back to church for a little while, but I wasn't, I didn't lose my faith. I was just mad. And I was just going to have a season of being mad at God. And, yeah. and it, di- it didn't mean that I didn't know he didn't love me, that he was going to get me through this, that I could rely on him. I was just mad. And, um, and I think it's fair <laughs> that I was mad. Like even now, I think it's okay to be mad at God. Um, and then I, I did too, actually. So uh, just to interject here, I, I think that's totally normal. I think it's totally part of the journey. And I'm glad you mentioned it because that is, it, I think God can handle it. I think it's the testimony of scripture. So I wrote a whole thing. I don't know if you've seen this, but it's on my website called what to do when you're mad at God, right? Mm-hmm. Because based on Habakkuk, because I think it is, he, Habakkuk gets this reputation as being a complainer, but really he's mad and he's grieving the what's going to happen to his society. And we we can learn so much from that because God never condemns him. God simply says, don't worry, I've got it, right? Mm-hmm. Until Habakkuk is moved to worship, which maybe took some time. We don't have any idea how long that took. So, okay, on your journey, how long, so, or what was that timeline like? And then what you're, you're going through the season of being mad at God. So I don't remember exactly when it was maybe six months into this. Um, I had been cleaning things out, some of my husband's things, and I'd been sneaking doing that during while the kids were at work. <laughs> I mean, at school. Yeah. And, um, so I was like running up and down the stairs um, storing some things in the basement and I slipped and I fell and I was like, Oh my gosh, I've just broken my tailbone, but actually nothing hurt. But I looked up instead at the base of the stairs where my husband and I had actually hung a plaque with, um, you know, the Jeremiah 29 11 for, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for a hope and a future. And I remember sitting there, thankfully not in pain, but going, wow, it's been six or eight months, however long it's been. And I haven't read this. And I had this here for my kids to see every morning that God had them, like God had their back. And so that was like sort of my first moment where I heard God's word in all of this. And it was um, just a huge relief. And just, I remember just saying, oh, thank you, God. I know you have my back. Thank you for telling me in this moment. Yeah. Uh, right when you needed it. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that. then right around that time, I signed up for a, um, like a six week study. Um, and the, the book is called uh, something like when your life doesn't turn out the way you planned. And I got nothing from it <laughs> except for, one day, one of the women in the class quoted Psalm 23, four, which of course, Psalm 23, I had read at my husband's funeral. And I really liked the Psalm. I think it's beautiful. And then she said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I was like, it just hit me in that moment. Oh, I can walk through the valley. Like I'm not just stuck here. So that was, yeah. that was um, really key in me being able to d- 
decide to move myself forward because I had just been like, okay, who am I now? I'm a widow. Like, is my life over? Like, that was a great life. But what do I do now? Like, how do I even move forward? I mean, I met Eric when I was 14. I grew up with him. Like, my identity was so intertwined with him that I had never been an adult by myself. And so I had a lot of things to learn. (laughs) Right. Which is, I think, very interesting, right? So particularly when you get married young, right? And you have those, those situations. Totally. I could see that you've never been uh, an adult on your own. So what, what did you learn? What, what did you have to figure out? Well, I'll talk about just like life in general and, and someone who may be one of your listeners, who's a widower, a widower, or if your listeners know a widower, a widower, the thing I think that's the most important, and it's so simple, is that you have to take little steps forward. So once I realized that I could walk through, I realized that I needed to walk through, like I needed to keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. So I started to do things that I wanted and some things that were new and different. And so I started like taking little risks. I, um, I joined a hiking club and met all these wonderful people. I enrolled, it was the pandemic. So I, we were, I was actually homeschooling my kids and I was kind of bored. So I enrolled in Cornell university and got a certificate in French wines. Like how random is that? (laughs) And, um, I just started being brave and doing little things and that felt really good. And it felt like I, could learn who I was without Eric and I could have a life and a wonderful life. And I still maybe have a half a life to live. And, and I could do that without him being, and then I could still be safe and in God's care and have like new adventures. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is is really admirable. I mean, I, you've got to at some point, um, you know, do that. I love that you're talking about your learning, um, like you're discovering yourself, right? So this is, I think, part of the spiritual journey. There is, uh, for for all of us, whether we have got to it yet or not, there's a time when the identities that we thought we had, right, that we mm-hmm. that were so important to us, get stripped away. And you've talked about a couple of those, right? So like. You went from uh, being, uh, you know, dual income, no kids to having kids. And so you, an identity was changed and your life changed because of that. Right. And mm-hmm. you, you went to, you had to figure out, okay, well, now how do we relate in marriage and how do we, how do we do all that? And then your life changed from, you know, married to, to being a widow and going, oh, that, what do I do? Right. And so that, so who you thought you were had to change and now you had to discover somebody else. Uh, or discover more of yourself, more of who you were. You were always that person, but that part of you never had to come out, right? So you had to learn, oh, I'm going to join the hiking club, whatever it is. I love that. And I so I, th- I think that is an essential part of growth. And, you know, the circumstances are obviously sad and not, not what anybody's going to ask for, but to find yourself in them is actually a really beautiful thing. And that's part of what you're helping other people do right with, with your book is to discover, discover themselves again. What, um, 
is there anything else that you've learned about yourself? Like you said, you had to be brave. What else have you learned that about yourself as you've gone through all that? Well, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think being brave, but I mean, I'm still learning, you know, and then yeah, that's course. like one of the things is hard about when I really look at my journey or anyone looks at their journey, it's like, when am I going to have to, like, when do I get to stop learning? <laughs> when can I just be? <laughs> you, you don't. That's why the show is called Halfway There, Lisa. <laughs> that's what it's about. Um, I did go through, like, subconsciously, I realized that I am a fixer. Like, I fix things. And I fixed my problems. And so I realized that subconsciously I had thought, okay, my life and my family is broken because there's no more husband and no more dad. So I need to fix that. So then I, I embarked on a <laughs> journey of dating and, um, I had so much to learn. I mean, about, <laughs> because, you know, like Eric, I had Eric and I broke up a couple of times and I had a couple of other boyfriends, but Eric was a really good man. And we, and I married him when I was 22. And so I never learned all of these things that you learn in high school and college. Um, so that some people learn in high school. And college. <laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> Not because I'm with you. I'm in the same boat. We, my wife and I got married at 20. We started dating at 17. Now I have a 20 year old girl. I'm like, no, no, that was not. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to let that happen. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I realized you that, learned a few things. Oh, I realized that I was trying to fix it with finding a new like husband and a new dad. And, um, I was reading in my Bible one day and I came across this verse, um, Hosea two 14. Um, but I will win her back once again. And of course, God is talking about the Israelites. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. When the day comes, you will call me husband instead of my master. And I read that verse and man, I was pissed because I'm like, um, I want a husband. I want someone I can go to dinner with. I want someone I can sit on their lap. I want someone who's going to hold my hand. And that isn't you, God. And I was, I was mad about that for a while. I actually called up my girlfriend while she was on her way to work. And I was just so angry talking to her about that. And this like really stuck with me for quite a while. And so I was praying about it. And like, what do you mean, God? Like how, how, what does this even mean? And then, um, about a month after that, I went on, um, I went to Israel with my church and our pastor did all these, um, little sermons, different places. It was a real growth experience for me. And I shared with the group about this verse and how angry I was about it. But as we were going through Israel and we were um, learning different things and my faith was growing, um, I actually decided that I would accept that and that I would, that I could accept that God could be my husband, not like my earthly husband, but that he, yeah, of course, that he was my husband because he had gotten me through all of the hard things that I had walked as a widow. And he 
you know, what does a husband do? Provides for you financially, um, keeps your family secure, um, you know, loves you and dotes on you. And I felt like as the days unfolded, I felt this more and more. And so I decided to get baptized. Um, I had been like christened as a baby um, okay. and, and being a Lutheran girl for many, many years. I'm evangelical now. Um, I always thought that like another baptism was like emotional and like a silly thing. But then I realized that, you know, I had been christened as a baby and I had lived in faith my whole life, but then realizing that I could rely on God to be my husband instead of my master was just a huge step for me. And just, so I decided to get baptized. And, um, I said in my, um, like we all gave little speeches, like little testimonies before our baptism. And I said, you guys all know that I've been struggling with, you know, God being my husband instead of my master. And so this is me telling God that he can be my husband. And, um, so that put me on more of a growth journey and realizing that I may never get married. I don't have a hole in my life. My life isn't broken. And I have a great life, many blessings. I have God to walk with me. And so um, yeah, that's kind of where I am now. Yeah, man, I love that. So that's that's that moment of uh I hear you saying you're accepting that this is that this is your life. This is, these are the experiences that you've had. They're they're difficult experiences, but um that God is still with you and you can walk forward with him. Yes. I love that. Okay. Well, Lisa, so you're now you're working on helping others and you're writing a book, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the Widows Come Back. And so tell us about that and kind of, I know you're still, it's not out yet, but you t tell us like what you're hoping to do with it. Yeah, sure. So one of the things that I found, um, I'm, I'm an avid reader. I love to read. And so after Eric died, I dove into like some books, on widows and about widows and for widows. And I really felt that a lot of them were kind of candy coated. It was kind of like, um, I had to accept this and I had to accept God and I had to love my journey and I had to be grateful for the time I had <clears throat> and all of these things. And it didn't resonate with me. And so the widows come back is a real book, like a real journey. And it's like, I talk about all the warts and I rip off band-aids and, um, I talk about things that I'm embarrassed that I did, but I want widows to know that they don't have to walk in like some perfect journey because that's what people are writing about and that they are going to make mistakes and things are going to get ugly and, all, all these things are going to happen. They're going to feel like they messed up their kids' lives, their own lives, <laughs> but that God has yep. them and he's going to bless them and it's going to be okay. And it's okay to make mistakes. Yeah, that's right. It is. I love that. Okay. So the website is thewidowscomeback.com. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. So you can go there and check out what Lisa's doing. You put together something 
for uh for halfway the listeners is that right i did and it's actually on acceptance because at one point i realized that i thought i was accepting my journey but really i was sort of plugging my nose and going fine this is my journey but um it's based on jeremiah 29 5 um build homes okay so israel um, or Jerusalem had just been sacked and the Babylonians had taken the Jews into captivity. And then Jeremiah says to them, build homes and plan to stay, plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Um, many, sorry. Oh, marry and have grandchildren multiply. Don't dwindle away and work for the place in prosperity of the city where mm-hmm. um, my writing is horrible. Um, for it is, it's welfare will determine your welfare. So when I came across that and read it, I realized, I mean, I haven't been, um, exiled as a widow, but this is my new life. My life is a widow and I need to live here. I need to build my life here. And I need to actually accept that this is my life. And I looked up acceptance in the dictionary and I learned a lot of really interesting things about what it actually means to accept. So I wrote a little study for your listeners, um, for widows, widowers, but I feel like anybody who has sort of like their dreams have perished and they need to accept where they are and they need to accept God's will. I'm hoping that um, this Bible study will help them. And it's gonna be on my page, um, thewidowscomeback.com slash halfway there. Love it, that is fantastic. Friends, go check that out. I've got that linked, of course, as always, at halfwaytherepodcast.com in the show notes where you can find uh, that link. You can find uh, Lisa's website and your Instagram is there also and all the other things, including um, I I was thinking about as we were talking, uh, I've heard a number of uh, women who've lost husbands. And so that's, uh, I think God's heart is for the, for the widow. And so I think uh, if you want to hear other stories, including my own grandmother uh, who who, uh, shared her story with me as well, those are all linked up there as well. All right, friends, thank you so much. Lisa, thanks for being here. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Um, well, thank you for having me. And I think the thing that I want to leave with is that no matter what happens in our lives, our lives aren't over. Um, when hard things happen, there's uh, there can still be a great future waiting for you. I love that. Thanks for being here, Lisa, and sharing your story. 